Hello, I'm uh, on the road today in the car and uh, had, a, had a great walk last night, but I had company, so I didn't get to share with you then. Um, the topic that I, I want to cover today is the topic that's at hand. It's the purpose of my drive. I was called last night and uh, not called, to, yeah, called and texted. Anyway, I got the text. It doesn't matter. I was texted last night with a request to come and help with a food distribution. And uh, my answer was yes. Now those of you who have a long connection with me know that that yes doesn't come from some inability to say no. Um, quite, quite the opposite. Um, those who have attempted to ask for something which I was not allowed to give. Know that I, I can not only say no, I can be very uh, frustratingly uh, obtuse about hints. Um, my giving to those who ask comes as a um, response to uh, a command of Jesus Christ. And uh, topic for another time or if you find a copy of my covenants book I have a pretty full explanation there so I said yes because of a reason but then I examine what I'm doing and if it was nothing bigger than saying yes to a request I, I would certainly be willing to there was a lot of reasons why I could get out of it um, we're in the middle of a blizzard, the storm warning going on. I don't think we're going to get much snow, maybe five inches. And then the temperatures are going to plunge to minus, minus teens, it looks like. Um, and so I could pretend that I was faint-hearted and say I can't make it, but I'm going. And because of it, I am thinking about the poverty narrative in the United States. Um, we share our food with anyone as an expression of our love. But a food distribution participates in a different narrative, usually. It participates in a narrative that is basically the idea that there is hunger in America. And that there is the, the current phrase is food insecurity. And I'm not sure that I believe that. Um, that may be true for those who are relying upon an adult who is not behaving maturely. So I, I do think that there are children who, who may be hungry. Um, but I, I do not think we are even close this country to being hungry. Um, typically, I, I see the distribution of um, the commodities as associated with the tribe and tribal rights, or somebody's understanding of tribal rights. And the thing that happens with commodities very, very often with people who I think would in every socioeconomic category fit into the idea of the food insecure, the hungry, 
they will gradually accumulate a, a stockpile of the foods they don't use. And they will offer them to myself and my family. Um, to the point that, that we have a lot of dried beans. All right? If you were to scale all the food that is distributed on a um, commodities distribution, the longest from start to preparation are clearly the dried beans. Um, to make good beans, it'd probably be best if you soaked it overnight and cooked it for uh, a day. There's, there's no microwave shortcut. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a pressure pot could make beans a couple hours, although if you like beans, you will know that that is not really, um, they will have a, a texture that just doesn't seem right if they are prepared too quickly. Okay, so not, not, not being critical of these people, but, but simply an analysis of what I have observed, I have observed that convenience still outweighs hunger, although the possibility is that it is ignorance that outweighs hunger. Um, either, either of those aspects suggest that the problem is not hunger. The problem is somewhere else in the system. Hunger is the symptom, not the problem. That would be my hypothesis. I'm not saying there isn't a problem, but hunger is not the problem. It is the symptom. And if you treat that symptom, sometimes I think you will mask the problem. Okay, that's true of, of um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Okay, the, the over-the-counter, you got ibuprofen, you got aspirin, whatever. And, and one, of the, one of the common problems, not serious problems, but one of the problems is that if I have some minor malady, which uh, an aspirin or a acetaminophen would, would be ibuprofen, well, one of those would be a, a great solution, I have to look at that and say, well, okay, is that going to mask the symptom? Or is that going to heal the problem? Now, often there's a there's an interplay between those two. So when I take an aspirin, I'm taking that aspirin so I can get a good night's sleep. It is not the aspirin that will heal, heal me. It is the good night's sleep that will heal me. But if we compare that to um, a different experience in my... Uh, when I was young and uh, indestructible, or felt indestructible, I hurt my back. And I was working at a factory, and, and uh, I had a strong work ethic. And I found that with a combination of ibuprofen and aspirin and ice, I could feel good enough to hurt my back a little worse every night. So what was I doing? I was masking the symptoms and masking the symptoms made me able to make the problem worse. And so that question has to be asked 
if we are dealing with hunger, specifically poverty in general, is what actions that we take are we taking that will mask the problem? And, and what actions are we taking that will alleviate the problem until the natural forces set themselves right? Now that's a, an interesting question. There are a lot of answers. But I would say that maybe the best answer is specifically found in something like beans. Right? I mean, the, the theoretical picture is that if you are hungry enough to be satisfied with plain food and willing to make some effort, then we could believe that you are truly hungry. If, if the way you, you got better things was to fully use your beans, um, I don't know how to administer a system like that, but, but that seems like it almost would be, um, the, the, the beans would be the, the indicator that we're seriously hungry. And yet beans tend to be the thing that, that are left over in abundance. So I got to tell you a story. And it may intersect at other points too. But a story about beans. Um, I was cleaning out a place um, from a, where, where uh, a lady, she had a grand, granddaughter or grandson who was married to someone who uh, qualified for commodities. And one day they said, Grandma, do you want some of our leftover commodities? And she said, sure, because she had been hungry. She was the kind of grandmother who would say, if, if all we have are boiled beans, then we will eat boiled beans, but we will not, I will not let my children go hungry. So she was able to value the beans, even though she didn't need them. Well, the problem was that once her kids, her grandkids, were bringing her their leftover beans and some other, some other things, everyone else said, oh, your grandma wants beans? We'll bring her our beans. So I was cleaning out her storeroom at a point when um, it had been neglected for a little while. And so the result was some of the other things that had been there were in cans. And the cans were outdated enough that, that the safest thing was, was to destroy them. Um, so we had a big dumpster. And I start hauling out stuff to the dumpster. And then it comes to the beans. And I could not... I could not get myself to throw away dried beans. Dried beans are... are incredible source of protein. They're locked in. They, they don't deteriorate. Um, bags and bags and bags of beans. And so I started bringing them home. And my wife said, what in the world are we going to do with this many beans, honey? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't 
care even if you like if you really don't want them around I don't care if you just sneak them to the trash one bag at a time I just can't throw out this much good food so she got five gallon buckets and started filling them opening the bags of beans and filling the bucket and we had a row of buckets with said beans on it and we didn't know you know we, we thought maybe we were just storing them and, and, and avoiding the problem but on the other hand beans are food three months two months something like that later um, I was driving through the campground that I need to pass through to get to my house and it was late in the year it wasn't uh, it wasn't a summer wreck time it was a uh, fall and, but there was a entire encampment 14 14 people um, camped and uh, sort of a makeshift camp and so I pulled in and, and took a look and it was a group of documented migrant workers who come up to Minnesota and uh, they staple on recipe cards onto the tips of um, pine trees so that the deer won't eat the pine tree tips. Um, what happens is that on a, on a deep snow year then the, the deer can't move around and then when they get so they can move around they find that they can reach up higher than they could and they can start clipping off the tops of the pine trees. They don't like the tips of the pine trees. Um, uh, maybe the cedar they actually like. The others are better than starving to death. Um, and so, so most years it doesn't matter, but all it takes is one year and your entire generation of young pines are severely stunted if not killed. And so they had taken a job. They were wandering around in the woods stapling on recipe cards and then they'd come home and they'd sleep in a set of tents. Problem looming. That is the the campground was about to shut down and when the campground shut down there would not be a, a place for these people to stay with bathrooms. Well each day as I passed by um, it, it was an abundant year and the freeze up was coming and so people were People had canned all the tomatoes that they could can, and there was a lot of sweet corn. And so many days I would stop by with, with tomatoes for them and corn. Finally, one day, we invited them for a meal. Uh, Mary made some American delicacies, and we quickly discovered that they would politely eat their bowl full. Not one, one drop of food was left on their plate, but nobody had seconds. Because what you eat is rice and beans and tortillas. And Mary and I, you know, it's one of those times. Our Western mindset, our, our prosperity, made us think, oh, something different would be nice. And uh, that is not the perspective of most of the rest of the world, I think. But certainly not migrant workers from Guatemala. So uh, I think we had them back one more time. This time we had rice and beans, and uh, we had noticed that they all brought their own own tortillas. And so what we did is we set up a hot plate, two hot plates in the middle of the table, so they could they could uh, 
heat up their tortillas. So we had rice and beans and tortillas. We uh, enjoyed that immensely. But the closing of the campground was looming even closer. And so I spoke to them and I said, um, those of you who have been to my place know that, that we built extra bathrooms with the intention that our house would be sort of a hub for all sorts of activities. People staying out in cabins and, and uh, maybe camping and whatnot. And so we actually have uh, two small guest bedrooms um, that are very accessible. And we have a cabin. And so we invited them out to look at the cabin and said, if you would like to, campground is going to be closing. If you would like to, you could live in this cabin, all 13. And there was one lady who had different living arrangements, but the, the 13 men would all... Uh -oh. oh, she wasn't there yet. She came later. Anyway, um, but, but uh, these 13, 10 Guatemalans and 3 Mexicans um, could live in the cabin and they could use our bathroom facilities and uh, they agreed to that they were greatly appreciative and we also we didn't promise this but we would basically tell them hey tomorrow night we're free so come into the house and have supper with us and then nights we had something scheduled we would they would go and arrange for their own supper and that worked well so night after night we would have this this table full and a huge, huge language barrier, but just a, a, a ton of fun. Just to have that many people who were worked hard all day, were super grateful, had no expectation, didn't feel entitled, but felt grateful. Um, and then they came to the end of their job, and they were moving on. Um, we said our goodbyes, and... Uh, about a week later, I was like, Mary, you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually hungry for rice and beans again. And so she made rice and beans. And either that or the next time we had rice and beans, she said, Jeremy, you will not believe this. This is the end of our beans. We ate them all. It was a it was a fun story for me, but but it's also a very fun way reason to have a different look at at what hunger is and how that hunger um, is relative. And I, I think because what we're, we're considering here is what is the problem when when we have a symptom of hunger? What is the problem? And does feeding the hungry hide the symptom? And it, it seems that part of the answer to that is it depends on how you feed them. Feeding them something that allows them to remain in a state of, sounds mean, but in a state of somewhat discomfort. A 
allows the processes that hunger was supposed to trigger to continue without the hunger being fatal. One of the, one of the problems that, that makes this so much more complicated is that in this country, by and large, um, let's say let's say there's kind of three tiers. There's expensive food, and then there's mid-level food, and then there's basic staples. Okay, basic staples still are cheapest. You can buy a bag of beans um, for probably about three and a half cents an ounce if you go to, to Walmart. Um, depends on which kind of beans. But you could probably get some beans down in, in that level. But in the moderately priced food, one of the problems is that the, the health of the food that is cheapest is worse. Um, if, if you wish to eat healthy, it, it costs so much more. Now that isn't directly a poverty question. But it is something that I think policy makers, people who say, you know, we, we need to figure out what do we do as a society. I mean, that is, I think, a severe problem, particularly if we're going to step in also and offer health care. Um, what steps do we take? Well, that's the, that's the rub. How do you have a... Uh, how do you create a policy environment which allows that? And I think one of the things is that we have to let people be hungry enough to eat dried beans or whatever the equivalent is. I think that is powerful. There, there, there are three biblical principles that I that I think have to do with poverty. Uh, there's more, but but three. And, and the first is the provision in the Old Covenant for those who fell off the productive society, fell out of the economic participation. They had a, a very specific law that forbid the efficient harvesting of fields. Um, there, there were others, but, but this one is, is sort of sets up the principle. And that is that the, the owner of the field would was not allowed to, to scour his field a second time. The corners of his field needed to be left. The edges needed to be left. So that people who were economically disenfranchised could harvest. The idea was that you didn't give them bread, you gave them the raw materials to make that bread. Because the, the, the poor man should, should have to, it should cost him something. To be given to be given the food, 
is to be given the food without seeing the cost, I would say is a masking. The symptom of hunger would be taken away and it would mask the underlying problem. So that was one, is to, is to offer people the potential to be fed. A, a, a real a, a potential which they could realize in the short term okay so you don't offer them a, a plot of ground and say just think three months from now you could have something to eat but you do offer them standing grain not baked bread now there absolutely was a, a talk and a value, a, a culture of offering more to the poor. But this was the policy, okay, and that's significant to me. So the policy said what we can do as a, a matter of policy is not the same as what we do as an individual. My perspective as the hungry person, my perspective as the person who has an, an amount, and the policy of our society may each be a unique perspective. And we can't allow the necessary perspective for one group to rule out the necessary perspective of the other group. I think that's where we're going next. Is we're, we're going to talk about those times where the perspective of one group needs to remain focused in a certain way, while the perspective of the other group needs to have a different. And if you try to assimilate those two perspectives, or you try to rule one of those perspectives out, you end up seriously harming one community. So, exclusive perspectives is coming up when I uh, have time again to speak. I'm approaching my destination and about ready to figure out what is my uh, role in this whole food distribution today. Talk to you later. Happy trails.